Tanzania is on the end where leaders are the hierarchy. They are, they are honored in a beautiful way. They're honored. And everyone gives honor to the leaders. They sit up on the stage. They get special offerings. They're always spoken with the highest honorary terms. And of course, in every culture, there's good things about it and not so good things about it. And Paul came with a message of weakness and of being authentic and real and vulnerable. And he really was prophetic. There was one time when he quoted Jesus saying, it shall not be like that among you. Are you going to be a king who sits on the throne or are you going to take up a, a towel and serve? And it was really a powerful message because he could speak it from a place of purity and from a place of vulnerability. And it really went deep. And Sven Axel and I talked about it so many times, and we started speaking some of that same message to people. So thank you. And the other thing that happened was they can just be so good at pouring out prayer, and they did the modeling. And they said, oh, time out, time out, time out. Pray for everybody. Time out, time out, time out. Just like slow down, look at the person in the eye, get to know them, listen to them, honor them. And it shifted a way of praying. And it shifted a way of vulnerability and being open and authentic. So thank you. Besides, you were a lot of fun. <laughs> and Dave Heinrich came with, if you know Dave. And he, the, the tools that he gave, we could hear already from people that pastors were using their tools. And I was even finding myself praying for people with so much more confidence and authority. And so you guys made a deep impact while you were there. Thank you. So thank you for sharing him with us. Good morning. Such a joy to be with you, and what an honor to feel the presence of Jesus here today. And I also want to thank you for letting us have Paul with us. Thank you, Karen, wherever you are. Thank you, Naomi. Thank you, Paul, for coming. You brought heaven with you wherever we went. If it was in the car, we had a breakdown in the car, we had to stay on the road for five hours. But we had Jesus and Paul with us, so uh, we had a good time. Thank you so much. We've been looking forward to this morning, Jenny and I. We are here in Minnesota for nearly a month altogether. Then we're going to California. We'll be there for a month. We just came from Tanzania the 1st of April, have been in Denmark and Sweden, uh, traveling, sharing, which is our life. On this day, I'd like to start honoring the mothers. When I think of my mother, I think of the words of the founder of Salvation Army, William Booth, when he said, my best men are women. <laughs> my dad was a missionary in China. He, uh, nobody could hold him back. He went when he was only 20 years old. By himself, he stayed more than six years in China. But he felt very lonely. Came back to Denmark. And at a conference, he met my mother on a bridge. They were out cycling, bicycling. And as soon as he saw her, he knew that he wanted to take her with him to China. So love at first sight. They got married very shortly afterwards. The honeymoon was on the ship going to China. It took three months in those days, so it was quite different than today. They went to a very mountainous area in the Yunnan province. Nine days to the nearest town or doctor on a horseback. They had their first baby, my oldest sister, in China. She only lived one week. And both my dad and my mother were so sick with the typhoid fever, they stood in the doorway when the Chinese Christians came and took this little box, 
the baby was in and went up the mountains and buried her without them being present. So we left some of our flesh and blood in China. Later, when China closed, I went to Africa. And my mother was a very courageous woman. My dad died when I was seven. He was only 43 years old. My mother stayed in Africa for 30 years on her own, raising four sons, which is not always easy, <laughs> especially sons like this one here. But she stayed and was faithful, and she would go where no other woman would go. This is why all man would go. Sometimes they were out walking, and they would hear lions in the neighborhood, in the forest, and the Africans said, let's go back. And she said, why? And she would go in front of them through lion territory, walking on her feet or on her bicycle. And she would help plant churches and do a lot of different things. 30 years she stayed, and she was faithful. When I came home to Denmark, 22 years old, I married my first wife, and she was also one of these courageous women. We had six children together. But Eni, my wife, she would sit and pray whenever difficulties happened in our lives. When my youngest, one of my daughters was bit by a puff adder and poison was in her body, she would sit with her and pray for her until she was healed in the morning. When our car broke down, she would pray for assistance, and sometimes God would send angels to repair our cars. But she was a woman of faith. Uh, 11, 12 years ago, I lost my wife, and she went to heaven. And it took me 11 years to get convinced that I needed another woman in my life. Jenny, she knew it 10 years before I did. And some of you would know her prayers. <laughs> And now God has given me a warrior of faith to be able to travel with and minister with. So I'm so happy. Wherever Jenny goes in Africa or in Denmark, we have an expression in Danish. We say she goes into the hearts of people with clogs on, which means she has access right away to the hearts of people. If it's dancing with a Maasai woman, she'll be dancing with them. If it's talking to people on the street, she'll be talking with them. If it's praying for people in churches or in homes, she would be active. There was an interesting thing that happened last year. We, she went to a women's conference in Copenhagen. And there was a lot of pastor's wives there. And this pastor's wife, who'd been a pastor's wife for more than 30 years in Denmark, so Jenny and said, how come you know all these people? I don't know them. And she's only been in Denmark for, <laughs> for a year at that time. And she knew everybody, and everybody knew her. So everywhere she is going, she has uh, the fragrance of Jesus and spreads it all over. So it's such a privilege, Jenny, to have you in my life. So thank you for raising her here in Minnesota. I, I, I'd like to give you a word. I don't know... Uh, how many uh, days are you together now? How many days are we together? Yeah, I mean, my story will take days. No, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> take your time. <laughs> I can tell stories from now until Christmas. <laughs> but since you haven't prepared your Christmas gifts, we, I won't do that. Okay. I have a picture I want to show you. And uh, tell this story. The man on the left, his name was Ramadan or Atuman Ramadan. He was raised in a Muslim home. His dad was an imam. An imam is a Muslim priest. And when he was five years old, he was sent to a Quran school to learn Arabic and to learn the Quran. His parents didn't want him to go to a normal school. He'd, they didn't want him to get infected by or influenced by the infidels. So he went to a Quran school in Kigoma. Kigoma is one of the most, uh, one of those areas in Tanzania where the predominant Muslims. It was where Henry Morton Stanley met Dr. Livingstone year, many, many years ago. So in the same place. His dad was the imam and raised as a kid. And his dad raised him to become the most influential imam in Tanzania. So he just went to a, uh, this Arabic school, didn't learn to read and write. When he was 15 years old, some of his friends said to him, 
Atumani, what are you going to do when you try to, you want to find a wife? You can't write a letter or read a letter. And in Tanzania, in those days, before we had the smartphones, the only way to propose was to write a love letter proposing that you wanted to marry a girl. And then she could write back or say yes or no. So his friend said, what are you going to do when you want to marry? Wouldn't it be embarrassing that you have to come to us and ask us to write a proposal? And then when she writes back to you, you would have to read it for you. Don't you think that would be embarrassing? So it triggered something. So he said, I am going to enroll in a normal school. So he went when he was 15 years old and uh, enrolled in grade one. So you can just imagine all the others, six, seven years old. And here is Atuman, 15 years old. He won all the races <laughs> in first class, in first grade, you know. Well, and... He would go to his friend's home in the morning, change into school uniform, go to the Swahili school, learn to read and write. And before he went home, he'd go to the Quran school. So his parents would always think, well, he's just been to the Quran school, just learned Arabic, just been devoted to, the, to Allah. And uh, this continued seven years, and his parents didn't know anything. <laughs> when he was 22 years old, he's prepared now to preach the Islamic story and to preach from the Quran, suddenly Jesus appeared to him one night. He described him as wearing a white robe and his eyes were like burning fire. He said, it's like you use a flashlight and you see an animal at night, a lion, and you see these glowing eyes. Jesus stood at the foot of my bed and he was saying, Athuman, you have served Satan long enough. Now it's time to serve me. And in his stream, he started using an Islamic prayer, chasing this evil spirit away. The next night, he had the same dream. The third night, the same dream, but now Jesus came with two angels. One was Gabriel and the other was Michael. And Ramazan, Arthaman, he sat up in his bed and said, Who are you and who are those you're bringing? And they introduced themselves. And then he told his father the next day, I, I'm having appearances every night. Someone's coming visiting me. And he told what's happening. And then their father gathered all the imams in the area and they came to drive out these jinns, evil spirits as they call them, of him. And then his father said, now you're not going to be bothered anymore by these visitations at night. The very next day, he was walking on the streets of the city with his friends and Jesus came physically and met him on the street. His friends didn't see him. They didn't hear him. It's nearly like Acts chapter 9, when Paul had this visitation. And this, Jesus said, I have said to you, I have, you have served Satan for all these years, now it's time, time to serve me. He told his friends, I have to go. I can't keep on being here in town. So he went home, got hold of a friend, and said, take me to a pastor. They went into the pastor's home, and he talked with the pastor. But then, after talking about nonsense things, he just left. Ten yards from his house, Jesus appeared now for the fourth time and said, why didn't you tell the pastor why you came? So he went back to the pastor and said, I actually came here to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And the pastor prayed for him. And then he told him, that they had services and prayer meetings in the church. Now, after visiting the pastor, he went home. His father was standing in the doorway, and when he saw him at a distance, he said, Stop there. Don't come near my home. I can see that you have accepted Jesus. One of his friends said the same. And then he said, If you ever go into a church, I curse you, so both of your legs will break. The moment you walk over the threshold, your legs will break. So he didn't dare to go into a church. He stood outside when his friends were in worshiping. But one day, one of his friends said, let's go in. And he went in. And as soon as he took the first step in, he started feeling, huh? my, feet, my, my legs are not broken. He went down and sat down. And during the whole service, he was just feeling. And he said, oh, the curse of my dad doesn't work any longer. Now... He stood up to give his testimony. Everybody in the church heard that the son 
of the greatest imam in the area had become a Christian. So the rumors spread all over. And now his dad got so angry. So he told a bunch of young people, a gang, to catch his son, tie him up, and bring him home, dead or alive. They caught him. They tied him up, his hands and his feet, and then brought him home. And he was lying there on the floor, and the father gathered all the imams of the area, and they all came with big sticks. And the father said, I am going to keep on beating you until you come back to Islam and deny that you belong to Jesus. And he hit him and hit him until the stick broke. Then the next imam took over, and all the imams around him beat him up. But he said, I am not going to leave Jesus. Then his father said, tie, untie his hands. And the young people held him, and they got a log and put his hands on the log. And his father went and took a machete. And he said, I'm going to cut your fingers one by one until you deny your faith in Jesus and come back to Islam. And he looked at his dad and he said, Dad, I am never going to deny my faith in Jesus. So his dad took the machete, cut the tip of one of his fingers, and the blood was just squirting around. And Ramazan said, I am not going to leave Jesus. So he took the machete and cut the next bit of the next finger. Then one of the superior imams stood and said, Ramadan, or Atuman, Ramadan, his surname, stop. I am not going to witness a murder in this house. If you kill your son, I'm not going to witness this. And if you continue, I'm going to report you to the police. So his father got scared and untied the son, and the son ran away. He went into the neighbor's house, who was a Christian. They got uh, called a doctor. They came and gave him first aid. But the father went over to the neighbor and said, if you ever accept my son and let him come into your house, we will be enemies forever. To make a very long story short, he fled into the forest of western Tanzania, stayed in a refugee's camp half a year, met a pastor, had uh, teaching, was baptized, and then met another pastor who gave him the opportunity to go to Bible school for three years. He came out of Bible school, and a very long story will be short. We've traveled with this man for the last uh, three, four weeks before we came here. So a long journey of 2,000 kilometers, we were together. So we heard his story over and over. And Jenny's videotaped his story, and she wants to write a, a small book about his testimony. So uh, Ezra, his name now is Ezra, because he changed his name. And Ezra, he uh, started having um, radio broadcasts for Muslims all over the country. From the place where we live, Habari Malum, they have three times weekly broadcasts that reach Muslims over the country. One day, a lady called him and said, could you please come and visit my husband? He wants to talk to you. And her husband was the leading imam in Arusha, like the mufti, kind of an archbishop over all the imams. And after talking to him and guiding him through the Arabic Bible, this man accepted Jesus as his savior and Lord and Messiah. And he told him to come back the next week, and he would gather four other imams. And when he taught them, they're doing the Discover Bible Studies, and it's spreading. I can tell you right now, we are standing on the edge of the greatest revival among Muslims in the world. And in Tanzania, something is happening. And this man, who is the leader and has 3,600 uh, Muslims going to the mosque every Friday. In his mosque, 2,500 have signed a paper that they are going to be followers of Jesus the rest of their lives. Wow. And not only there, but in the next two largest mosques in the same town, their leaders have accepted Jesus. Now, through the radio programs, he's reaching so many people. He was called to the southern part of Tanzania near the border to Mozambique. And 50 imams had gathered in the mosque to ask questions and to listen to Ezra, this man here. And at the end of the day, the leading imam in the city was sitting there in the mosque with 49 other imams. He said, if what you have told us is true, how can I, 
accept this Jesus as my Lord and Savior. He said, come here and I'll pray for you. And he knelt. As soon as he knelt, the other imam said, if our leader wants to follow Jesus, what about us? Can we follow him too? And all 50 were kneeling in the mosque accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. These are things that have never happened before. You will not hear it on the news. You will not hear it everywhere we go. We are in our Western countries, uh, we are affected by a fear of Islam, which is spreading even in Europe. But there, is, there was someone who once said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is, this is uh, the end of last year. Okay. Yeah. We were traveling with Ezra. Everywhere we stopped, we had a breakdown. Please pray for our car. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we, we were sitting five hours on, on the road with Pastor Paul and Dave. You remember what happened? Yeah. Yeah. And we came into a small cafe. And there, there was an imam and the leader of the village sitting. It was a hole in the wall. Yeah. And suddenly, the Holy Spirit told me, tell them you're going to pay for their meal today. And I told this imam and his, uh, the leader, of, I didn't know that they were leaders and the leader of the village, I want to pay for your food and your drinks. And he said, who are you and why? And I said, I want you to know that pastor has been here and blessed you today. And it was a funny, interesting story. When I said, I'm so sorry, my car broke down. They said, don't be sorry. It was God who wanted you to come here. And... <laughs> And next time you come, we'll call all the village together, 3,000 people, and you can bless us. And I told them, yes, I will bless you in the name of Jesus. That's what we want. So there's something happening that hasn't happened before. And we hear stories that in, at the Swahili coast in Tanzania, Muslims are accepting Jesus. There were five women who are studying the Bible together. And Jesus revealed them through the scriptures. Now they have turned their mosque into a church. We hear testimonies all the time. This is so exciting. <laughs> Just before we left, right at that place where we're standing, Ezra, we have, we, have, we have teaching every day. Jenny teaches him English, you know, and she teaches him how to use a Bible gateway. And she's an, a fantastic teacher. <laughs> Last time, just before we left, I was at the garage with my car nine hours. <laughs> I had an appointment with this uh, Ezra and some other pastors. When I came there, do you know what Jenny was doing? She was playing games with them. <laughs> Rummy cub. What do you call these sticks? Pick up sticks? Pick up sticks. They have never played a game in their life. And they were so enthusiastic like children. So when I came, they didn't have, even have time to speak to me, though I was the reason they came. They were so excited about this game Jenny was teaching them, you know. So she's uh, making a great influence. Yeah, okay. So I was just going to say that just before we left, he said, when you go, could you tell the people what we need right now is Bibles because Muslims have a hunger to get Bibles. I need 200 Bibles in Arabic and 2,000 Bibles in Swahili. And then he said, and I have a request. If I could have a vehicle so I could travel around because it's not safe always going with the public transportation. Now, Jenny and I came to Denmark. Three, four days later, we were on our way to Sweden. So we stopped at a family just to have coffee. You know, things happen at the coffee table. We were sitting there. We were just sharing a little about this. So the man in the house, it's only him and his wife there. He suddenly stood up, went into his office and came back with a bunch of dollar notes. $2,800. $2,800. He put them on the table and said, I have been saving this money because I'm going to Wisconsin to hunt deer. But how can I go and hunt when I hear a story like, take this money and buy a car for him? The day before yesterday, the car was bought. I get excited. Woohoo! <laughs> and now Ezra is going to have his own car and be able to travel. Isn't it amazing? Okay. 
So what I'm trying to say is God is doing something that has never happened before. And not only in Tanzania. We hear the stories from Indonesia. We hear the stories from Egypt. We hear the stories from many of these Muslim countries that Muslims have a hunger. Because many Muslims are like the God-fearing Jews. In the New Testament times, they had a fear, a hunger for God, though they didn't know him. Even Paul, when he came to Athens, preached about I see you're worshipping a God that you don't know when they worship the idols. And this was the way to tell them about the God they were worshipping. And now what Ezra is doing and other people, they're telling them about the God they are longing for because they have a longing for him. They don't know him. And Allah cannot give it to them. And the interesting thing that's happening right now is God is in the mosques. And when all the others are bowing their knees and praying to Allah... And saying, um, La ilaha Allah, Muhammad Rasulallah, <laughs> what they are saying to Allah. They are praising Jesus and they're meeting with the imams after the, 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 the mosque, you know, and they are picking the hand plucked fruit one by one, are coming to Jesus. You would never have believed it. And I would never have believed it if I hadn't met a man like him. Yeah, I could go on. There's so many stories about what God is doing right now, but um, I want to give you a word too. I think you're hungry for the word, aren't you? Can I just give you a word? But before I do that, can I tell you a story? Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, wow, wow, wow. I've lived in Africa most of my life. I have been interested in people, nature, geography, but also in wildlife and animals. Sometimes I would take my boys out in the forest and all night we'd be sitting up in a tree at a waterhole just to watch. We wanted to find out who is really the king of the jungle because we've seen these movies, you know, but we wanted to find out for ourselves. So it was very interesting seeing the behavior of animals at moonlight at night and things like that. One day we were out in the forest, one night we were out in the forest, had our tent we pitched there. Early one morning before the sun rose, we heard a sound. <coughs> Something like that. I said, what was that? Of course, everybody knows it's an elephant. But we couldn't go out because this was in the middle of the forest. We waited until dawn, sunrise, then went out. And we saw there was a water hole filled with, filled with mud. And a baby elephant was lying in the mud. Only the head, the top of the head, and the trunk was above. And we could see that the mother and the other elephants had tried to pull it out and gave up. And when I saw it, I said to my son, let's rescue this baby. Because as a missionary, you are sent out to rescue people and elephants. <laughs> we worked for five hours. I had a winch on my car, so we drove the car down. And we had a rope around, and we dug under the baby elephant. First of all, we washed his eyes to get the mud out of his eyes. And, and then we pulled and pulled and pulled. And after five hours, we got it out of the mud. And then my son, he brought a bucket of water. And we took the trunk of the elephant into the bucket, and he started drinking. Oh, and then after finishing two buckets, it started squirting water on us. So now we knew, oh, life is coming back. Then we bought grass and branches, and the baby elephant was eating. And after all these hours, it stood up. And then it lifted the trunk, and it could trace where the mother had gone. So it started running towards the forest. And just before it came and went into the forest, it stopped. And it turned around and lifted the trunk. So I have a picture where this baby elephant, about this size here, lifting the trunk, kind of saying, Hi, guys, thanks for saving my life. <laughs> it was so moving, you know. Okay, what has this to do with the gospel? The next five days, I smelled like an elephant. <laughs> That's my message this morning. Let's go to the second Corinthians. Second Corinthians, chapter 2, 
verse 14. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ. Now I'm not speaking of the elephant, the aroma of the elephant. You got the message now? Yeah? We are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one where the smell of death, to the other, the fragrance of life. Wow. This is my message. We are called to be a fragrance of Christ. Now, this passage here, the Apostle Rome took from the annual ceremonies in Rome. You know that every year, this Caesar of Rome, the emperor, would send soldiers out throughout the world to conquer nation after nation. And there was a tradition when the Roman soldiers returned to Rome after conquering a nation, there would be a special ceremony in Rome. And this is what Paul is referring to. The ceremony would be the general who'd been out there conquering a new nation would ride through Rome on a white horse. And behind him will come the soldiers marching. And then they would have the hostages they had taken, the prisoners of war in chains behind them. But before they would have the procedure of walking through Rome, there was one thing they would do. People would spread flowers on the streets of Rome. Roses, other flowers all over on the way the parade was going to be. And now, when the soldiers came marching, tramping on the flowers, it released the fragrance of victory. So people who are on those streets would know our soldiers have been abroad. They won the victory. Now we can smell the fragrance of flowers, of victory. So this is what Paul is referring to. Wow. (laughs) My message is, when we are going through diversities in life, when people are despising us, when they are ridiculing us, when they are persecuting us, when they're treading on us, it releases the fragrance of Christ in our lives. The persecuted church today have a fragrance that is so special. So my word to you this morning is I want to encourage you when you are facing trouble, when you are facing things you cannot handle, when you're facing things that make you give up, God is releasing the fragrance of Jesus in your life. Sometimes fragrance speaks more than words. And this is what I believe. Paul, when he wrote the second letter to the Corinthians, he was very open-hearted and very honest. I don't think there's any other letter or epistle he wrote that is more vulnerable, the way he shows how vulnerable he is. In uh, chapter 11, he speaks about all the difficulties he went through. You know, And sometimes being a Christian, we don't understand why there's so much pressure on us, so many things that try to make us, to make us give up. And Paul was just like one of us. It says here from verse, there's a lot of verses you could read, but uh, 2 Corinthians 11, he speaks about, I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged severely and exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. So it's not new what Ezra experienced. I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Uh, When we go through this, uh, just think of what we consider as advertisements in life. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rival uh, rivers, from dangerous bandits, and danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger of the city, in danger of this country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I labored and I toiled and I often gone without sleep. 
I have known hunger, I have known thirst, I have often gone without food, even being cold and naked, and beside everything else, I have the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And do not feel weak. And I do not feel weak. And if I must boast, he says, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Here's a man who's getting crushed. The fragrance of Jesus, the taste, the aroma, the savor is so important. There's a very powerful story in Luke chapter 7 about a woman who heard that Jesus was at a banquet with one of the Pharisees. You know the story. This prostitute heard about it and came because she had a hunger to be forgiven. And she came in there and kind of disturbed the whole setting. She had a jar of oil or perfume and she started pouring it over the, ha- the feet of Jesus as her tears, were sh- she shed her tears and then she took her hair and she dried the feet of Jesus that now had the fragrance Can you imagine when this woman left that house that day? She had the fragrance of Jesus because she has been so close to him. Her hair had dried the perfume of the feet of Jesus. She was carrying the aroma of Jesus with her. Since I was a little boy, I've had a longing because what I've seen in my parents' life I wanted to serve God. I was only four years old when my parents, this was in Denmark, they had a visitor who was a monk from France. And this monk, I could hear it when I was lying in my bed, they told the stories. He prayed for sick people and they were healed. And as a four-year-old, I lay in my bed and I said, God, when I become an adult, I want to be a monk. I didn't know what it was, but I wanted to pray for sick so they could get healed. When I was seven years old, my dad died. Six months after my dad died, there was a conference in a town called Tabora where um, the founder of the Pentecostal churches in Scandinavia, a man called Levi Petrus, came out to inaugurate the church, a new church and a literature center. His name was Levi Petrus. He had the largest church in all of Europe in those days, more than 6,000 attendants every Sunday in one church. And I had heard stories about him. And now after the service, all the kids were out playing. And Levi Petrus met with all the VIPs outside, sitting in a circle. And I have a picture that's very, it's a treasure to me. I took a chair without anybody noticing it and went behind this man and put down my chair. And on the picture, I'm leaning. I wanted to touch the man because I wanted the fragrance that he had. I wanted the anointed that that man had. I, I just want to rub shoulders a little, you know, with him. Eight-year-old, I was very naive, but this was, my, this was my hunger. I remember when I was 16 years old, an American evangelist came to Africa. His name was Joseph Matsumbuzi. He was one of these healing evangelists. He prayed for sick that was, were healed. This was the first time I saw blind eyes opened and many miracles. So when he, after preaching, would invite the people forward to pray for the healing, I said to myself, I want to go forward. Because there was this, this evangelist, when he got excited, he spat on, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he couldn't hold back the spit, you know, so he was spitting on people. And I said, I want him to spit on me. <laughs> because I wanted that anointing. So among all the sick people, he was a young man, 16 years old. Oh, I wish that he would spit on me <laughs> so I could get that, that anointing. I was very naive. But I, just to tell you, I had this. I wanted to be, to spread the fragrance of Jesus. Let's pause just for one second. Um, we're going to let you keep preaching, but I know some people have to go. It's Mother's Day in the afternoon. Oh, what time is it? I just want to pray for you and release you. If you have to go, it's one more time. But may the Lord bless you.
I'll prepare for landing. Uh, so please uh, buckle your seat belts. We're going to land <laughs> now. And all the crew is going to take their places. So prepare for landing. Uh, I know that the most precious thing that we could bring to our surrounding is not the words that we say, but it's the fragrance we can bring to them. There was one man go back to the ancient Greece. One of his teachers was speaking and one of his disciples asked a question and he said, I can't hear what you're saying because your life speaks louder than your words. There was a preacher called Gypsy Smith. He was a gypsy in France. He spoke to a congregation of gypsies and he said, I guess that your life is the only Bible your neighbors are reading. And no wonder why they're looking for a reversed version. Our life speaks more than our words. And uh, I believe that God has called us to be a fragrance. It is said about one of the church fathers, a man named Polycarp, the old bishop from Smyrna. He was burned on fire the year 155 after Christ. It is told that before he was put on the fire, they told him to deny his faith in Christ. And this old man, six, 86 years old, said, I have served this Jesus all my life, and he has never done anything bad to me. How could I ever deny my faith in him? They tied the old man. They put him on the fire. And as the fire were burning, the people said, when he was burned on that fire, they smelled such a sweet fragrance as if it was frankincense or some precious spices that had been smoking there. There was a fragrance about this man. A man, one of these old uh, uh, church fathers, Johannes from Asenius, he said, he lived in the fifth century, it happens when the Holy Spirit comes over us that it releases such a perfume fragrance. It's so sweet as if people never have experienced anything like it. It's a fragrance of Jesus. And we are called to spread that fragrance. I said I smelled like an elephant for five days. I couldn't wash the smell off. What about our lives? Do we have the fragrance of Jesus? It's most important. And people will sense it. You know, people are looking for the authentic things in our lives. And when they just, we live a transparent life, and then they will be able to see it. There was a Swedish pastor, he writes in one of his books, the gospel convinces more by aroma than through discussions. And I, I think that is true. And when I read all this, I just say, Jesus, I want to have this fragrance. Sometimes when we go through difficulties, and we want to give up. You know, there are two ways. Many people give up when they don't understand God. They've had losses in their lives. They're going through stuff they don't understand. Some run away from God. But there's always the other opportunity of coming closer. And I have discovered Jesus can influence us more when we're close to him than when we are at a distance. It's so hard to get the fragrance of Jesus if he's far from us. But if we're close to him in our daily lives, he impacts our life with a fragrance of eternity. Amen? Amen. And I believe that when we go through trouble, that when we go through hard times, when we're crushed, when people tread on us, when people turn against us, this is an opportunity to show that the fragrance of Christ can come through. 
I believe we are often more shaped in a crisis than in the good days. I believe that character is more important than charisma. And when we are going through hard times, God is forming our character to be like Jesus. It's our prayer. Moses was shaped in the wilderness when he was a shepherd for 40 years. Joseph was shaped when his brothers, they turned against him and mistreated him. And unjustly, he was unjustly accused and went to jail. Jonah, when he was sitting there in this room without air condition <laughs> for three days, he was shaped. <coughs> Sometimes we need to find a quiet place. I remember when I went through these losses in my life and I was walking through the, the valley of death. I lost my son, I lost my wife, I lost my ministry, I gave up. I went to see a pastor in Sweden, and I thought this pastor was a very well-known pastor, a leader for thousands of people. He might be able to speak into my life. And I went to his conference, and after one of his sessions, I said, could I speak to you? And he said, yes. What's it about? And I said, I want just for you to pray for me and maybe give me an advice. And when I said I lost my son and my wife, he said, oh, by the way, I don't have time. Could you just go down to our counselors and speak with them? And I just thought, uh, felt as if a bucket of cold water was thrown in my face. But I stayed at the conference. Two days later, I met a monk. I'd never counseled a monk or uh, asked counsel from a monk. A Swedish monk who lived in the forest of Sweden. If you had asked this monk who the prime minister of Sweden was, he wouldn't be able to answer you because he lived in a totally um, shielded atmosphere. And when I asked him, he was dressed in a brown cloak. He had beard, you know, and he had, when I looked into his eyes, I felt I was looking to the eyes of Jesus. And I said, I want to talk to you. Do you have time? And he told me, that's all I have. That's time. <laughs> And I sat down with him, and when I started sharing, he started crying. I have, I don't know where to go, what to do. It's been six years of mourning in a desert of grief. Then he said, wow, Jesus must really love you. And I was shocked. I said, what do you mean? Jesus loves me. Since God lets you go through so much suffering... It's because he loves you. And that was a totally different way of looking at it. And I felt as if healing oil was poured into my inner being. And healing oil went through my body. And suddenly I realized the only thing that mattered for me was knowing that I am a child of God. That he loves me. My ministry, everything I've done in my life, everything I've achieved does not matter. The only thing that matters was I am a child of God and he loves me. And then healing started and the situation turned. And slowly I started coming back on track. I know until this day the only thing that matters, my father loves me. And that's all that I need. And I want to be a fragrance just representing Jesus wherever I go. When our experiences no longer support what we are doing, when we lose when the company goes bankrupt, when you lose your house, you lose your marriage, then you only have God left. Cling on to him and he'll help you through. And the fragrance of Jesus will be released as when the soldiers were tramping on these flowers. Then it's time to seek the Lord. I believe that we are called to intimacy with Jesus. And I believe in this morning God wants to tell you that he loves you. 
take a step closer into his presence and it will release more of the fragrance of Jesus. I spoke to a man in Denmark the other day and he was kind of sorry because he has not in his life been able to influence his kids. He went through a divorce. The mother took the kids and for all these years, and he said, my kids are now 26 and 25 years old, something like that. And I told him, you know, we cannot go back and repair the past. But you can always go back to your kids and ask forgiveness that you were not there for them in a time of crisis. And if you go back and ask your kids, because he hadn't seen his kids in all these years, can you forgive me? that I abandoned you? Can you forgive me that I was not in your lives? And you will see that will bring back a relationship. And I believe with all my heart because I've seen it over and over again. When we influence people by releasing the fragrance of Jesus, that can make a difference. So can I just pray for us? I want to be more like him. I pray that the things that you are going through, instead of giving up, draw closer to Jesus. And I believe that the life of Jesus, the fragrance of Jesus, will be released. Father, as we are here this morning, we come to you when we don't know what to do, which way to go. Father, we know that we can draw close to you and I ask that you will embrace us all this morning. Embrace us in your love. Embrace us, Lord, when we're going to things we don't understand. God, we just want to feel your heart. To hear that you love us. And that's all that matters. And we ask that we'll be able to show the world that the fragrance of Jesus can be released even when we go through difficult times. We know there will be no wine if the grapes are not crushed. There'll be no perfume if the flowers are not crushed. There'll be no, no oil if the olives are not crushed. And we know that when we meet the things that are difficult, help us, Lord, in our weakness to give glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.